This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the financial services industry. Addressing those challenging topics, embracing diverse perspectives and bringing authentic conversation. Our aim is to inspire and motivate the finance sector towards change, creating an inclusive industry that we can all be proud to be a part of. On this week's Remote Risky Mix podcast, we're lucky to be joined again by Stephanie Dillon, partner and founder at Inclusivity Partners, a business which designs and delivers returner programs for individuals who have taken career breaks. So Stephanie joined us a couple of weeks back and um, told us about the returner program that's been launched in the insurance sector and and generally um, how they support people who are looking to reignite their careers. And and really, the episode was focused around um, what businesses can be doing better to adapt their recruitment processes and, and really tap into the returner talent pool. It was a it was a fantastic conversation. So if you haven't listened to that, please go back and give it a listen. And we wanted to invite Stephanie back um, really today to explore the personal perspective and an angle to, to being a returner. So for those returners who are thinking about, or those people who are thinking about taking a career break and coming back or those people who are in a break and thinking of coming back, you know, the types of things they need to be thinking about. So we're going to explore that today with Stephanie. So thank you so much for coming back. Thank you. Thanks for Welcome back. Thank you. Great. So perhaps we could um, we could we could kick off. I, I know we we did touch on this in the first episode with you, but just what what a returner looks like. You know, what is the profile of a returner, and and really at what stage do they tend to be at in their careers? Perhaps we can start with that. So a returner can be many things. Uh, As a generalisation, a returner is usually someone who's paused their career for caring reasons. And certainly when the government did their reporting and and funding of returner programmes, it was aligned to carers who had taken time out of their careers to either care for children, care for elderly parents, relatives, etc., and who were looking to get a step back into the market. However, a returner really can be anyone who's who's taken a career break and is now finding that that break is acting as a penalty for them to get back into their career. So someone may have taken time out because they had poor ill health, cancer, for example, and, and had to you know go through chemo and, and recover. Or someone maybe had mental health challenges and needed to pause their career. Maybe someone went travelling uh, and just enjoyed it a bit too much and 12 months turned into 24 months or whatever it might be. But it's subsequently, when you have a career break on your CV, it becomes much more uh, difficult to re-enter the market. So that, that's the, the concept of return of programmes. Got it. And and I suppose for people, because I, I took a career break for travelling, um, so, so for people who are... Because I think it's quite it's quite common now, isn't it, for people, um, particularly younger people, to to take a step back and reassess what they want. And the whole uh, concept of a squiggly career is is much more common today, and for younger generations. So, for I suppose for people who are in that position of of being in work and they're thinking about taking a break, whatever that looks like, whatever the reason being, you know, are there any things they should be thinking of um, in the run up to to taking the break? Do you think? Well, I think it does depend on somewhat the reason for, yeah, for taking that break. I think if, if you're taking a break because of you know, ill health, I'd encourage you to just focus 100% on your health because if you don't yeah, have your health, you've got nothing. Um, likewise, you know, if you're going travelling, 
having some plan around how often you're going to keep in touch with your network and, and letting people know when you're coming back, etc. that's going to place you in a stronger position for lining up work when you come yeah. back. However, I think for, for, for many women, there's an argument over whether they opt out or push out. You know, there's a lot of research done mm. around that because many will actually pause their careers because they just feel burnt out unaccommodated from from hiring managers in terms of the the you know the women often taking more um responsibility at home in terms of caring etc while still managing to 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 hold down a full-time job but often that comes at an expense and eventually that expense might be their health their their happiness etc so they may well then decide i'm going to pause i'm going to step out of my career for a period of time so i do have some advice for anyone listening who is at that stage of your career. First, you worked hard for the career, so fight hard to keep it. Um, We do have a a very much a structure still in many organisations that idealises the full-time employee, Um, the person who's available 24-7, hugely responsive, et cetera. And, you know, I get it. We live in a capitalistic market, profit-driven world, et cetera. However, just because you may need reduced hours for a period of time does not devalue what you contribute in those hours. So a lot of people will actually um, choose to step out having not gone through the steps that I'd really encourage them to go through. So, for example, let's say someone's on maternity leave uh, and they want to come back on reduced hours for three or four days a week. I see far too many Facebook blogs and Facebook posts of everyone getting really indignant because I I, opt, I put forward three days a week and they said no, etc. And actually what often can happen is that we are presenting our managers with a problem. Here, this is your problem. I used to do five days a week. Now I want to come back and I want three days a week. You fix that. You show me how that can work. Whereas I always encourage people to treat this like a business plan and a business. You are a business, essentially. You're a walking, talking set of skills. So we need to then go to them and say, I would like to come back three days a week. This is how I see this working. And you need to address the team. You need to address clients. You need to address infrastructure, technology, et cetera. We need to put them in a position where they would say, where, where they would feel, how could I possibly say no to this? You know, look, they have put it all in front of me. This is how it's going to work. But far too often, I think we put the problem back on their ledger uh, and then and then they fall for the default position of no. No, sorry, that's just not going to work for us. Probably haven't given it the grand sum total of six minutes and 30 seconds thought. (laughs) Uh, So I I do, you know, do corporations owe us more? Should they be doing more? Uh, Sure, we can all go along that line of they should do this and they should do that. But ultimately, I want you to be successful. Um, And therefore, I think we do have to fight harder and be a little bit more creative and forward thinking in terms of how we approach that situation. Then the other thing is if you do step out, it's always easier to find a job when you're in a job. (laughs) So just before you step out, think about applying for other jobs. You know, you don't have to. You might be exhausted, particularly if you've got young kids at home and goodness knows we weren't blessed with sleepers. Um, So I can totally relate to anyone who's walking around with ice sticks in their eyes and 12 (laughs) coffees in their blood. Um, But you can apply to other organisations and there are other organisations that do do this well. That's a good point. I suppose on your first point, kind of 
the it's really yeah it's a really interesting point and a, and a good one yeah. that, that's about pitching yourself really and I mean is, is that something you would do on your CV how would you if you were going cold to an organization you didn't have a contact there already how do you other than just saying the one the one sentence of I work three days a week like is it your CV that you build that pitch into yeah. or yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you first got to step back and say, well, who, what am I from a from a skills perspective? So if you think about the labour market, it's a market by definition, which means it's a competition. So you are going to be competing with everyone else to have your skills and your labour bought by the other side. So you've got to approach it from that mindset. What are the skills and what is the knowledge that I'm actually bringing? And focus less on how many days per week you can do and focus more on what is the problem you're going to solve for them. Because typically, if you can solve a problem, then they're going to be way more open-minded to how you actually do that. Whereas if you approach it of, here's me and I'm looking for three days per week, well, put it put it this way. We've never had a client come to us saying, hi, we're really looking to hire a mum three days per week with a two-year-old <laughs> and a four-year-old. And often yeah. we get emails quite regularly from people saying, I'm a mum with a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I'm looking for a job two to three days a week. Can you help? Right. Yeah. Anything about that candidate, you know, versus yeah. a qualified accountant. I worked for eight years in the city, whatever it might be. You can see where I'm going. It's thinking about the problem that you're going to solve. That's such a good point. And should you consider the experience that you've had on your career break? This is, it's probably not something you'd put on a CV, but how do you take advantage of the experience that you've had on a career break, regardless of what that is? Does that make sense? Or should you just, just discount it? I think you can absolutely put it on, but, you know, a lot of career returners will have done volunteering work in their local communities, headed up a PTA, but maybe being a governor on a school, whatever it might be. But I think you put all of that into the subtitle of one job, if that makes sense. So let's say that one job is a, a, a career break from 2016 to 2021. Under that, you would put three or four bullet points of what you did. But yeah. where it goes really wrong is when you go and see see a well-meaning yet undirected coach or career counsellor who says, pat it out, show them everything you've done. And then you get to the third page and you realise this person was like a qualified lawyer from Clifford Chance or something phenomenal, (laughs) but it's hidden on the third page. And one of the interesting things we share with returners is a piece of research done in the US by an organisation called The The Ladders put eye tracking software on a really large team of recruiters in one of those on-site recruitment teams, six seconds is how long they look at a CV for before they decide if that CV is getting into the next pile or the reject pile. So Mm -hmm. your CV literally becomes product placement. You know, Tesco's puts the candy at the end of the aisle for a reason. They know where little kids' eyes go. So you've got to think about your CV from a product placement perspective. What words are going where and how do you buy yourself more than six seconds? So what is the, do you you happen to know what's the first thing they're looking at in those six seconds? Title, dates. So if you're taking a career break and your dates, you know, you you can see how, you know, this is the first talent pool that just gets put in the rejection basket. Title and dates, yeah. Right. So if you're if okay, if you're a returner and obviously you know your first sort of X amount of years on that CV, if it's in chronological order backwards, there's gonna be a career break. How do you manage that? 
So you um, you pull up the, the relevant experience that you've had closer to the top. Okay. So that very quickly, really by one third of the page down, you want the relevant experience to be within an eye-catching area. Yeah. At right. least, even if the dates are not in, fit, fitting what they're looking for, at least they're seeing the experience that is relevant. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that's a good tip. And and um, this is more just out of interest. So I, I think uh, on our last episode, you said you know the majority of returners are women, but but I'm guessing there are there are male returners as well. Do they face um, as much of a challenge returning? Would you say? I think it's a, even harder. Really. Yeah, because the majority of the returner programs are being held not to because it's the right thing to do, but because it's a way to increase gender diversity. And so I think it's even harder for men who have paused to raise children or care for parents, etc., cetera, uh, to get back in. And one of the biggest things we can do is to encourage our placed candidates to say, you know what it's like to be excluded so when you have to hire, can you please pass the, the baton down? And we had a wonderful um, example of that, a, a candidate we placed at Namura Bank, a returner. You know, she needed to hire um, and she came to us and said, I, I want to pass it down. I'd love to hire a returner. And by the way, if you do have any male returners, please make sure I'm seeing them. Um, and she interviewed a number of candidates and, and offered a man. So he's gone back as well. Amazing. Wow. I wouldn't have... Um... I wouldn't have, yeah, thought that. No. I don't know why. I just would have assumed it would have been easier. But um... it is easier when they've kept their network alive, and this is probably the point that we should talk on to now. Just in general, yeah, learners, yeah. Um, it is so much easier to get your career back on track via your own network when people know you and respect you and know who you were prior to the career break. They know you haven't changed; that you're still the same person. Um, and they are much more likely to open the door for you and connect you and to put you in front of people or to even hire you themselves. So I think the importance of the network piece is, is just cannot be underestimated. In fact, some research, um, my business partner, Lisa Unwin, ran a consulting company called She's Back a few years ago, and they did some research with returners to identify how they ended up getting their career back on track. And you're four times more likely to get back into the workforce via your own network than you are through a recruitment company. Wow. So that's how important the network is, yeah. And I think as women we don't like that word networking, do we? No. We think of cold <laughs> wine and, sorry, hot wine and sat there all sort of uncomfortable. Um but actually, what we do do well is is have a genuine interest in how people are getting on and, and what's going on in your world, et cetera. Mm. And just yeah. doing that, just keeping in touch with people, that keeps your network alive. It, it doesn't have to be because you want something. I think when you're reactivating it because you want to get back into work, that's when they start to go, oh, it feels a bit icky. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I feel like I'm only reaching out. Well, that's fine. Just apologise. You know, if you were friends once, you'd be friends again. Um, yeah. Very Australian approach, just do it. But I think the networking piece is just so important and don't lose touch with the people that you've worked with in your first part of your career. How common is it for people to maintain their networks after they've taken a career break? Is it something that, you know, 50% of people do? Or? I think, I don't I don't have an answer to that. I, I'd be making it up if I gave you a stat, for example. Yeah. I do know some of the themes are, particularly with the lawyers, when they leave private practice, they often walk out and at that time say never again. 
can't even begin to conceive. I'm exactly the same, by the way. Never again will I work in the world of recruitment, ever. And here I am, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But what you struggle with is to conceive a time where things will be different and that you will start to be reclaiming more of your own time and that the person that maybe you were in your earlier part of your career, that ambition actually is still there. And the things that you enjoyed about your career start to pop up more because when you left, you were focusing on the things you didn't enjoy. And that's fine. You know, we're all human. No one's perfect. But as time passes, you actually start to realise there were things I really did enjoy. And actually, maturity has kicked in as well. So the things you didn't enjoy, you feel more confident and more capable to address and deal with. So you're more likely to stand up and say, well, I need this and I need that and this is how it has to work or I can't make it work, for example. So it's it's an interesting one. I don't have an answer for how many keep their network alive. I suspect it would be fewer than ideal. Yeah. I guess the longer the longer you're off work, the harder it is to just maintain those connections because so much of your life is focused on something else, for example. Yeah, yeah. But what, what people don't realise is just purely because you're all getting older is that your mates have all risen to pretty senior influential uh, positions. So often people who are returning think, oh, I don't have a network. I don't know anyone. And then you say, well, who's at the school gate? Because <laughs> yeah, often right. often Johnny's mum or, you know, whoever's mum, whatever it might be, um, you've never actually stopped to ask what they do because maybe that's one of the mums a bit like me flying past, pulling the kid out and getting back on the <laughs> But actually you'd be surprised how many of those people are in your network and will go out of their way to help you and make connections, but you've not really stopped to think about it. It's it's such a good point because I think you're right that for a lot of people, networking does feel icky and salesy and forced, right? But, and therefore you you don't, you don't, I mean, I, I do this as well. You don't tend to look at it as a, this is just a way to stay in touch with people, people that you like. And, and, and actually, yeah, if there are the mums at the school gate, you, you probably get on with them really well. We'll get get to know them and get to know what they do for work. And don't it, it's kind of not separating it as saying that's yeah. work and that's networking there and that's horrible stuff. And then that's friendly stuff there. I, I don't know. I'm probably oversimplifying it, but that's how I think about it. Yeah. Right it is. It is absolutely much easier than people realise. I do think in general men are better at maintaining a network. Um, I think sometimes for a male returner, it can be a little daunting to um, re-establish the network because they might look at their mates and think, well, hang on, how did you end up there and I'm here or whatever it might be. So, you know, from time to time, absolutely men do need the support on the returner programs. Um, and I do think they should be available for everyone. Um, so we've talked a lot about bit about sort of maintaining the network that you have while you're still in your career before you you move out of it but in terms of sort of keeping up to date with industry type things and you know market knowledge is that is that sort of something that you should be considering as you transition into a career break as well I absolutely think reading and keeping abreast is probably the number one thing you can do to keep your confidence and I've really seen seen this play out in interesting ways so for example we have had some lawyers who have married other lawyers who have actually, because apparently there's no time to date anyone else when you work in the law, it's just so busy. <laughs> but where, so where lawyers have married other lawyers, and particularly if they've come from the same technical background, 
they are still having dinner parties with people in their field. So purely by osmosis, they are still hearing things and having conversations that are somewhat connected to their career. And I see that as impacting healthily on their on their confidence because okay. there hasn't been a massive disconnect. They've still been having conversations. So if you're one of those people who doesn't have that and actually your world now is totally disconnected from your professional life, I just encourage you once a month to carve out 45 minutes to an hour. Just read the FT, look at what's going on in the industry, read a blog, read a journal, etc. You'd be surprised how much knowing a little bit can make you feel more confident because often we're really worried about being in a conversation where we don't have anything intellectual to contribute and we don't really care mm. if it's one statement and we still don't know anything below that one statement if we feel like it sounded okay our confidence is intact so it, it's Got just it. giving yourself enough yeah. to be able to feel a little bit connected to what it is that you did professionally yeah that, that's really interesting and I think that question of how much is enough is is potentially quite a personal one I'm not sure because one of my friends who's currently on maternity leave um she's she's very ambitious very driven very successful but she she does find herself reading quite a lot of industry news during the week to to try and feel like she's staying on top of things um and I don't know if she's potentially making herself a bit putting a bit too much pressure on herself to do that so it's it's interesting to know how much you need to to do is it just about maintaining your confidence or is it also about sort of showing up in interviews and and that sort of thing I think it's an individual to individual situation you know if if you're stressing yourself out then that's probably going to impact your confidence in 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 the advert in the opposite direction so um it's just about doing enough to make you feel a little bit connected. I don't think yeah. anyone's expecting you to come back as though you didn't have time out. You know, yeah. that, that if you've been on maternity leave, that's a job in itself, isn't it? So, you know, no one's expecting you to have also at the same time been doing another job, which is, you know, 45 hours of study each week. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I can imagine that nobody has time for that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how your friend is managing that, Raj. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. She's just one of those people. <laughs> Honestly, I, I can't imagine sort of spending loads of time reading about insurance while I'm on maternity leave, if I'm ever on maternity leave. But definitely staying in touch with the industry, I think, would um be good. It's a, it's a great piece of advice just in terms of your own confidence. Absolutely. So, so I guess we've covered two points, really, haven't we? So the importance of maintaining a network. Um, and, and and kind of keeping abreast in terms of what's happening in the market can help with your confidence. Is there anything else, Stephanie, you would you would recommend to people who are yeah, perhaps in a break at the moment and wondering what they can be doing to help their transition back? I, I read a quote once by Richard Branson, which I just thought was brilliant. I, actually, I read it, ironically, on the train up to Newcastle before I pitched to Virgin Money. Ah, so I right. it said, never mind if you fall flat on your face, at least you're moving forward. And I, <laughs> oh, I really took that on board. You know, far too often it's just that first step that is the most frightening. Um, so I, I constantly even just repeat that to myself about just taking that first step and seeing where that first step takes you sure. rather than finding all the reasons under the sun why you can't do something. Uh, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell yourself you can't do it, of course you can't do it. Whereas if you just boldly step forward, even if it's just one step, just see where it takes you and, and don't be afraid. Fantastic. Very wise words. 
very wise words. And and for any any men or women listening to the episode who are considering a break or in a break and wanting to get back into work, uh, can can they contact you for for any support? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things we do do um, at least once a month is we run a free what we call a career reignite boot camp, um, and in that we share a lot of tips about job searching and how to get yourself out there and LinkedIn, etc. Because sadly, you know we're only a certain size; we only get a certain amount of roles each year. But there's way more talent out there, so we've we've found that by doing this monthly, we can hopefully try and help people to get themselves in the driving seat. So our website is essentially just inclusivity.co.uk. Great. And they can yeah. find details about the, the boot camp on there, can they? Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll, we'll include a, a link in the notes um, anyway. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us again on the Risky Mix podcast. Again, it was such a joy to have you and you're doing such great work. So um, it's very impressive. Keep going. Um, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me again. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so at www.riskymix.uk. We'd love to hear from the inspirational individuals and companies who are walking the walk and changing the mix in our industry. And if you like what you've heard so far, please rate, review and subscribe to the Risky Mix podcast on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter at risky underscore mix.